This is episode 86 of the EdTech Takeout from Grabwood AEA. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and here is Mindy Carney. Here we are. Happy 2021. Yeah, we took like a whole month off yeah. or something from the podcast. Why not? So, Why I not? Mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do anything exciting over the break? Um, I cleared a lot of snow. Oh, what about you? Yeah, I cleared a lot of snow too. I um, we don't have a snowblower, so I did it all by hand. But yeah, but, um, we've had a lot of snow and more on the way. It sounds like I think everybody's getting hit with snow right now. And it's going to get super, very, extremely cold. Did you see negative twenty eight or something like that overnight on Saturday. I was like, oh, that sounds fun. That sounds great. This is Iowa life. <laughs> yes, um, my daughter said to me the other day, she goes, I'm glad it's February. I said, why? And she goes, it's one month closer to summer. And I'm like, yes. okay, well, <laughs> that is something, I guess. That is true. Know. Yeah, yeah. Count down the days. Yeah, no kidding. Well, all right. Should we start with some news and follow-up? Let's do it. I'm not sure I remember everything I put on this list, but there is some stuff on here yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. Will you start? Because I don't know this one. The first one I found out um, at our statewide consultants meeting mm-hmm. so uh, this one came from seth denny um and he came across this from another teacher who is called lynn selking okay and it's the ability to do what's called ascii math inside a pear deck okay and you might have seen like ascii art and stuff like that but it, it's a way how you can create um mathematical equations using um some keyboard shortcuts basically on your on your screen so you use hashtags and little um shortcuts for the word uh so for instance he's got one here that's hashtag hashtag sqrt for square root oh. space x and then hashtag hashtag and that looks like uh, the square root of x oh nice so it's if you wanted to create you know Deck doesn't have that mathematical Math language, right? um formulas and yeah. language and stuff you can put in there like some of these tools do i think mm-hmm. edpuzzle has one mm-hmm but um, it's a way that you can use some shortcut math expressions inside a Pear Deck to uh, put mathematical symbols and formulas into your questions. So mm. I will leave a link to that slide deck. It goes over how to do that and where you can find all the syntax um, for that. So um, I think the only uh, disclaimer on here, it says it looks like Pear Deck doesn't work with vectors and matrices. And I don't know what that is. I don't is. know what that means. So, um, math people, that's the only uh, disclaimer on there, I guess. <laughs> you should use that as your tech nugget. That was a good one. I could have done, but I didn't yeah. really know enough about it. Yeah. So I just threw it in as follow-up to our Pear Deck episode. Got it. Perfect. All right. So the next one up is enabling offline support for your Google Calendar from your computer. So now you can view your calendar and events from four weeks prior or any time in the future by week, day, or month. Particularly useful when you're offline or have unreliable internet access. Apparently, this used to be a feature that was um, on Google Calendar. Oh. And then when Google Calendar got like its little makeover, like the other Google apps yeah. did, it went away. Oh. And But now it has come back. It's back. So um, it does have to be turned on, I believe, because it's off by default. No, it's on by default. It says this feature will be on by default, but could be disabled on domain or OU levels. I believe what that means is it's 
on for letting people turn it on. Oh, really? Yes, because if you go down a little bit, it says end users. When enabled by your admin, oh, yeah. this feature is off by default and can be enabled on a per device basis. Huh. So if you, as a, as a domain admin, didn't want this, what didn't want your people to have offline calendar access, yeah. you could turn that off. Right. I guess in theory, it could be maybe like a security issue if somebody got a hold of your device and then was able to view your calendar and everything on it. And go it. to my meetings for me. Fingers crossed. And go to your meetings for you? Go, please, oh, wow, no. please go to my meetings this for me. This is why you turned it on, right? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Okay, so admins, go in and check that out. We don't know if it's on or if it's off, but there you have it. All right. Next on the list, yeah. I've got um, a blog post by Meredith Akers. Mm-hmm. And I subscribe to her blog, so I, I see her stuff comes in. She does yeah. a lot of good stuff. Yeah, She was admittedly kind of late to the Jamboard game. Yeah. Like, I think some people were. Yeah. And um, so she's been digging into Jamboard and finding all the things that she likes on there. Mm-hmm. So... A couple of things I thought I'd mention in this that I hadn't maybe seen before or thought about using before, and that was to make a copy of a Jamboard for students. Because right now in Google Classroom, you don't have the option to make a copy for all students. But our old uh, friend, the URL tricks, where you can put slash copy at the end, uh, it makes it into like a template so that if students click on that link they get a copy of the Jamboard mm-hmm. uh, template that you made for them. So I thought that was interesting. Yep. She also worked out that a Jamboard is the same size as a Google Slides slide. Uh-huh. So if you want to design your own background inside of Google Slides, you can download that as an image mm-hmm. and then upload it to Jamboard because mm-hmm. you have more tools and slides to do that design work than you do inside of you know, Jamboard Absolutely. and things like that. Absolutely, right. Um, and pro tip, she's also got all the hex codes for the sticky notes and the pen colors in her Jamboard mm. blog post. So if you wanted to match some of your, you know, colors to the pen colors or the, you know, the sticky note colors, she's got the codes for those. Nice. Okay. Um, she says, if you don't want to create your own background, you can go to Canva and search their templates for online whiteboard. And you get a bunch of like graphic organizers and different backgrounds and templates on site, inside a Canva. Nice. So that you can download those. I haven't looked at those. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was a thing either. Mm. Um, and then I guess last thing on here is that version history in Jamboard might not be working anymore. Is that correct? <laughs> I don't know. It was like a thing that somebody discovered and then it's now it's gone. So... Because know. we talked about that we on the did. last episode, yeah. I think, about version history. And, and then we there was tried all it. these keyboard shortcuts. And we tried yeah. it like last month or something, and they Doesn't stopped work. working now. So. Good job. Okay. Helpful. Yeah. All right. So I saw on your list you have the Seesaw Blackboard. So I feel like um, these aren't like necessarily way out in the world. I haven't seen a lot about them. Um, but there are, Seesaw's working on these blackboards for... Um, you have to be have a premium account of some sort. So school libraries or I don't know if ambassadors get on my guess because they would have technically a paid account. Um, so what I would um, probably compare them to would be just really nice playlists that are put together by Seesaw. They have an instructional video 
with them and then cross-curricular activities that are built in to the multiple pages of an activity within Seesaw. So right now, Seesaw is building these themselves, um, themselves, themselves. What's the correct word there? Seesaw is building them. Seesaw is building them um, to share within activity libraries. So I have a PDF that takes you to um, the list of these blackboards that are already created. They are kindergarten through second grade, it looks like. Uh, and the nice thing about it is that you could probably just share them with your students without too much editing. There are some audio instructions built into these. I always think audio instructions should be in the teacher's voice. So you might, that might be something to consider, but otherwise they're editable for you. So you can definitely give them a shot. Uh, but the nice thing about it too, is they also have a home activity on top of the cross-curricular in-class activities. So great for whole group, small group, independent, at home, lots of things you can do. There you All right, it. I got two questions for you. Okay. Um, are these in the activities library? You know, I don't know. I haven't looked in the activities library, but you can, I added one to my activity library. So let me, I will look and see. So it doesn't look like they are in activity libraries yet. But you could add them to your activity library if you have this nice little PDF that I will link on to um, the show notes. How's that sound? That sounds good. Okay. Do you think they'll do like three five as well as K two, or do you think this is I a K two thing? Yeah, no, I don't know. Um, mm. I did watch the video. They have a video with Joe Bowler, who is from ooh, is it Harvard or Stanford? Stanford. Stanford. Thank you. Um her talking about why blackboards are important and why cross-curricular um, attack on skills is important too. But I don't know that they mentioned anything about them coming through in three to five. So that is yet to be foretold. All right. Next thing is a little random. I'm just going to throw it out there as a, maybe this will be useful someday. And then <laughs> if it's not, you can just forget I said it. Okay. Sounds good. What is it? I ran across this website called ExpeditionsPro.com. Okay. Uh-huh. And what they are promising to do is to pick up where Google Expeditions left off. So it's a virtual reality tour maker for expeditions, teaching, learning, and fun. And they're looking for beta testers right now if huh. you want to uh, jump on and try it. Interesting. So it says it will take off from where Google Expeditions ends, has the same great features you're used to, classroom content, working offline, instant annotation, simple touch interface that works so well. Mm -hmm. And they'll be adding new features such as um, things that people have been looking for in the Expeditions app, such as video playback and playlist creation. So I signed up to go on the beta list oh. for this i've not heard back from anybody yeah. yet so i i don't know if that will happen or not but it's for it's available for ios and android maybe it's something we can use our expedition kits for i don't know but um they're in the early days of of trying things out they're they have instructions on their website about how you can export your existing tours before uh, Google Expedition shuts down and use those tours in their system. Um, With Google Takeout, I haven't seen that for a while. So it would be just, though, 
tours that you have created, not ones that are from Google Expeditions? Is that your I understanding? Would think so. Yeah, yes, right, right. That'd be my understanding. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's nothing on here about pricing or anything right. yet. Yeah, I can't I imagine it's going to be 100 percent free, well, but maybe it'll be free for a while. Yeah. So yeah, if hmm. you've got expedition kits and you are one of the people who like to do beta tester things, yeah, sign up with expeditionspro.com and try it out. See what they got going. It's worth a Let shot, right? I mean, all that money spent on Google expedition kits. It's worth a shot. Yep. Um, so this week it came out that ISTE is going to be virtual this year, which it already was. Oh, no, that was December. When was ISTE? Was it in December? Was it December of last year? <laughs> We're going to be talking about it. I don't remember when it was. <laughs> I think it was It was November. It was the end of November. So um, ISTE is going to be virtual again this year. So there is um, some information. We'll put that in the show notes. But... We're going to talk a little bit about the virtual ISTE experience from 2020 coming up. Yes, ISTE and FETC, FETC and any other together. virtual conferences. Yeah. Should we do that now? Yeah. So up next, main course, right? Virtual conferences serve to you piping hot from our homes where we attended the virtual conferences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Mindy and I have been we've been talking about virtual conferences recently. We like we've been yeah. telling you about ones that have been coming out. Right. I mean, I went to a UDL conference. I went to the ISTE one that was in November. Mm-hmm. I think we decided. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had FETC last week mm-hmm. as we record. Yep. So. It's one of these things that are, um, it's just a sign of the times now that we right. are having virtual conferences. iTech in the spring is going to be virtual in April. Yeah. So we thought we'd maybe talk a little bit about virtual conferences, pros and cons of virtual conferences, and maybe we could share some tips or experiences we've had with yeah. virtual <laughs> conferences. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's start with the good things. Pros of attending a virtual conference, Mindy, what do you think? You know, I guess one of the big pros was not, I mean, I enjoy going to conferences, so I don't know if I would call it a pro so much as I didn't have to uproot my family's schedules for being gone for a week. Um, So having not attended C and FETC in person, it was nice to be able to be home and um, not put that added stress on my family of being gone. So that part of it, and I suppose for the agency, you know, it's expensive to send anybody to a conference. So if, you know, teachers are paying for that themselves, or um, if your school district is paying or your work is paying for it, it's a heck of a lot cheaper to, you know, attend that conference at home as opposed to paying for you know, all of the crazy travel expenses that, especially to ISTE, I mean, that's notoriously an expensive conference to attend. So it's much, much cheaper to attend it from your home than to travel. Yeah, that whole, the, the logistics side of it is is definitely, you know, a pro of a virtual conference because you can do all that within the confines of your home. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> you can, it's easier to schedule things. Like, I, I know, like, you, you'll be the same. Like, when we go away for, like, ISTE or something like that, it's, we got to kind of prepare ahead and at home a little bit mm-hmm. because, you know, um, 
it's it's more work for the 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 partner who stays at home right. with the kids and everything else and everything they've got to yeah, do. And I'm like, but, see ya, it's been fun. Yeah, <laughs> good luck. And then call you up and oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. or, you know, whatever. Well, I'm out for like, dinner yeah. now with the team. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, great. Yes. So, um, you know, the, the, there is the pro. It is more convenient in in some ways. You don't have the hassle of traveling. I, I mean, I for one, I'll hold my hands up and say I don't like to fly, but oh, just the whole crazy. experience of flying, like going to airports mm-hmm. and waiting to get on airports and yeah. then get off planes and new planes and, yeah. and all the rest is just, ugh, I can do it without it. And that's before I even start to think about what it's like to fly in yeah. one of those planes. So. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'd say another pro would be um, thinking of ISTE in particular. How many times you've been to ISTE and you get to the session you want to go to and you can't get in because they shut the doors and they have to limit the number of people in the room mm-hmm. for like fire regulations right. or whatever. Right. And all the popular sessions with all the popular people right. fill up super fast. And and sometimes I think people don't go to the session before just so that they can yeah. get to that session or, mm-hmm. yeah, or they, they sit in the same session to just stay in the room yeah. to be in the next one. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes, you know, they get wise to that and they kick people out yeah. and, and stuff like that. But yeah, in theory, there is nothing that's going to stop you attending a virtual session. You should be able to get into anyone you want. Just maybe not live because with ISTE, I still didn't get into when I was attending it live, their rooms were full and you couldn't get in. But the number is, I'm sure, much, much higher than it is, let's say, in person. Yeah, because of, you know, fire hazards or whatever. But there were sessions that I couldn't get into because they were full. Yeah. But I could go back and rewatch them, which is kind of the other, another pro of the virtual conferences that you can go back and you can attend every session if you want to. If you've got the time to do so, you could, you know, mm-hmm. go through and watch those recordings and, I did a lot of going back and watching stuff after, you know, hearing the team say, oh, this session was really great. It was nice to get that recommendation then from someone else like, yeah, it's worth your time. Sit through it as opposed to, you know, surfing through um, sessions and trying to find something that, you know, is interesting or to stay through the whole thing, which I'm not real great about doing. I think we've talked about that before. I'm a get up and goer. So, um, I bopped around a lot and caught, but the nice thing is, is I caught a bunch of different stuff because, you know, it's easier than having to try and find another session to get into. So. Well, I I mean, I'd say that's a pro, like, you know, you're, I think you're like me, like when we go to these conferences, we, we put a schedule together of things we want to see, but we will often put like two or three things in one slot, just in case Mm -hmm. you get there. And it's like, oh, this isn't really what I thought it would be. When you do these virtual conferences, it is easier just to switch rooms and you're just clicking a different link and then you jump somewhere else and you're in, then you can see what that's like too. Yeah, for sure. Um couple of uh funnier ones maybe on here that there's you know there's no lines yeah. for the bathrooms no lines for bathrooms <laughs> there's always lines of bathrooms at these big conferences or mm-hmm. keynotes lining up yeah. to get into the keynote hall yeah i remember some years going to isti and you know the lines are just like crazy yeah. and usually there's like some random person that starts a twitter account called like the isti line <laughs> or something and they're tweeting out like what the isti line is saying about all these people that are standing in the isti line and <laughs> So, yeah, no lines for bathrooms or keynotes yeah, right. or anything else is always good. 
Oh, I think this is funny, too, that you said food availability, because, like, trying to find lunch when you're at ISTE is a total pain because you have to usually leave the area and try and find a spot that's not super busy and crazy and oh man there are you know attending ISTE is fun there are so many headaches about like (laughs) attending ISTE too so yeah it depends where you go and you know and if they have like a lunch break or whatever everybody's there at the same time so all the like the eateries and takeaways and stuff are full and heaving it takes a while to get your food yeah yeah, and a lot of these places don't really have like a lot of these conferences don't really have like a lunch hour sort right. of thing. They just run sessions all, all day, day, and yeah. so you have to pick and choose yep. when you can eat, mm-hmm. if you can eat. And I guess that's like being in the classroom again. Yeah, sometimes right. it's like whenever you can find ten minutes here and there to eat your lunch, you just do it. Absolutely. And... All right, so those are the things we think are good. Yes. All right. So what did you find? Yeah, what did you find challenging about attending? virtual conferences so far well it's kind of a cliche that i think at um face-to-face conferences like the tech conferences we go to the internet's never very good it seems like and it can be hard to get on the internet and we had that problem at least with the isti live one i think that a lot of the sessions like didn't load Mm -hmm. or you couldn't get into them because they were just either full or just not working or yeah. not streaming and well, stuff like that. Well, I think like presenters that, so. had tech problems too because they're using this new platform that they're not familiar with and trying to also be sharing their screen or their presentation or whatever on top of navigating a new platform was clearly very challenging. And um, Corey Rogers, I know, did a, did she do a playground for ISTE? And she said that the platform for that was that it was extremely challenging. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't user error. It was just a really hard platform to use and um, was not intuitive whatsoever. And so putting that on top of presenters who, you know, are trying to share information in a really hard, you know, instructional environment or presentation environment was uh, clearly a challenge. So I appreciate them taking it on, though, because... It was, you know, they clearly worked through some frustrations. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think, and maybe you can you can say differently on this one, but I think if you're not actually there in person, mm-hmm. it can be hard to, like, push all of the distractions to one side. I'm not going to lie and say that every so often, you know, I would, get email that would come in i'm like oh man i gotta take care of that but i'm on my calendar i put isti or f-e-t-c like this is what i'm doing this week i'm trying to connect and do these sessions but there's always other stuff that comes up when you're attending virtually it's hard to yeah well and you're right so like if we're face to face a lot of times i turn off my email responder and then i don't feel guilty about like not getting back to people immediately where if you're sitting here, it's very different because you see those notifications come across. I would also say, however, to go to the other side of that is like I sat here at my desk and turned one session up and I cleaned the bathroom and was like, oh, I'm going to go look at the screen. And I come and look and like watched that for a little bit. And then I went back and finished up the bathroom. So I did get like some other things done. I kind of listened to it as a podcast as opposed to um, – you know, just sitting and watching everything. And I 
I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it, you know, or I turned it up loud enough and I went and made lunch while I was still listening to the session. So I don't know. It was kind of a toss up for me. Yeah. 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 I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I I, I tried to be good and like sit at my computer and just only do that. But maybe if I had done the other things, I would have been less distracted by other things. Because I think sometimes your computer is the distracting thing. Whether you're opening a new tab or whether an email comes in or whether a tweet pops up or something. It's the technology that's the distracting thing. Yeah, right. Which is ironic because you're trying to, you know, focus on technology. (laughs) but. Yeah. Um, or, oh, this is one definitely that we thought was interesting with SD2. I didn't notice it with FETC. As, oh, I know why, because I mostly just did recorded stuff for um, FETC, but the time zones were different. And so when we looked at sessions at ISTE, it was actually in California time, not, it didn't like convert it. Or it would convert it, but it didn't mm-hmm. convert it. Like when you, when was it? It converted if you had to find the button to click on it to convert it to your time zone. But then when you added it to like your schedule, it still wasn't it still in California time or something. So that was definitely challenging yeah. and not something I don't think I would have noticed except that someone pointed it out. Like, hey, just so you know, these are in California times. Oh, sure. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and that and like some of the sessions that like start at four o'clock is like six o'clock yeah. here and then it's like dinner time yeah, and it's right. like you're getting stuff ready for the kids or you're taking yeah. the kids out to dance and different yeah, things right. and it's like that's not as convenient, yeah. but you know, I guess they have to pick a time yeah, zone and absolutely. that's why they have those recorded sessions yeah, so that right. you can, you know, go back and watch those things yeah. again later. So Absolutely. I might also say, what would I say? The energy is a little bit different. You don't think the energy is different. It's just kind of hard. Like, I watched some of those keynotes at FETC, and it's like, you know, a good keynote speaker is up there. They command the stage. They're delivering with purpose Mm -hmm. and intention. And and I'm not saying these people aren't, but it's kind of the nature of the beast. Like, they're talking through a slide deck. Yeah, right. It's just different when you're talking to your computer and you don't have that feedback from the audience you don't have you know you don't see people's faces to see they're smiling or they're they're getting it or they're clapping or or whatever they do at these things it's really hard for presenters so the energy is just super different like i saw eric scheniger at fetc yeah seen him in person he's really good Mm -hmm. he's he's a great dynamic speaker Mm -hmm. and and he he was good at fetc Mm -hmm. it was just a bit Yes, challenging. I can't imagine for them that it's, you know, something that they really look forward to either. I watched and I don't know what her name was, but I did watch um, like the keynote speaker for Tuesday just yesterday. And my understanding from what she said was that her session, her keynote was not live. She submitted a video Mm -hmm. because then within the chat or she said something during her presentation, maybe or her keynote that said, I'll be live in the chat during the um during the airing of this so i'm assuming it was released during that keynote time and then she was in the chat having conversation with people which i thought was kind of a you know at least a way to engage with you know the audience or your participants or whatever so um i it would have been interesting to see that live because i didn't then you know because i was watching it yesterday but and that was good to hear she was in the chat because I did yeah. find that really super kind of confusing the first couple of days of FETC because the keynote things were recorded mm-hmm. and they played them and then 
they had this live chat next to it. Yeah. But the problem was some not everybody started the video at the same time. <laughs> right. So you're getting people saying, Oh, I totally agree with this. And it's like Really? really? You agree with that? Or and it's like, no, well, oh, okay, you're in a time lag. You you're, yeah. you're agreeing with someone from ten minutes ago, yeah, and then right. they're putting different comments in. And uh-huh. I, I don't really understand why they weren't live. But then they had the Q and A afterwards, which yeah. was live. It's like, hmm, I, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I think that chat runs. I think that chat runs all the time. So I'm pretty sure I could have added stuff into the chat too. I felt like that with. ISTE as well is that people were putting, so they were watching videos later and then they were adding stuff into the chat and there's no response then either, you know, so you can put stuff in the chat, but where's the, there's not the interaction with the audience unless you're watching Mm -hmm. it right at that time that, you know, that chat first gets started. So yeah, the chat thing is definitely, um, challenging. I don't know. I don't know. And that's kind of like part of it's like the last point I had on here too that yeah. it can be harder to connect with other people at virtual conferences. Yeah. You're not seeing people face to face. You're not meeting people or having those conversations where you just pass someone in the hall or you yeah. stop in a playground or something yeah. and you see somebody and you talk to them. It's, right. Yeah. It's just you don't have those at virtual conferences yeah, very right. easily. Well, and one that I I think we missed off of our pro thing, which I do think is important to point out, is that FETC was free for everyone this year. So um, I would say the sessions were definitely kind of had a different tone than they do have in the past. However, um, it was free. So there was some learning to that you could, you know, get a hold on without having to pay a you know huge amount of money and ISTE was at a discounted rate too and I attended more sessions at virtual ISTE than I did definitely the last time I went to ISTE because I couldn't get into anything so if you think about you know more bang for your buck I definitely got more out of the virtual conference than I probably um did when I attended them so there's that yeah there is yeah any any final tips then? I feel like you've given it. We've given some we tips have? as we've walked through this a little bit, like, you know, cleaning the bathroom at yeah. the same time or, you know. Using it as a podcast, um, yeah. Yeah, using it as a podcast, rewatching older uh, mm-hmm. sessions that you may have missed. Yeah. I mean, we talked about how you can sometimes there's two or three things you want to see, but you can only go and see one at a time, obviously. Yeah. And you've got the chance to go back and watch those sessions later. Yeah, because I do think, you know, when we go to those conferences as a team, we tend to share resources from sessions that we think are really good, but it's never the same to go back and look at resources from a session as it is to actually see it all in, you know, one nice, neat package. So um, Mm -hmm. I just got an email from Gina like a couple days ago, like, hey, I was still looking at watching ISTE stuff and came across this and I thought you'd think it was interesting because it was something with John Hattie. And she, you know, sent me the link to all of this stuff and I can go in and watch it. So, you know, that's really nice to be able to be able to go back and watch the whole thing as opposed to just getting somebody's slide deck, you know. And it's important, like you said there to, you know, if you take notes and you're watching stuff, think about how you're going to action that stuff. Like, how are you going to use it? Is it, is it something you're going to use? Are you a coach? It's, you know, you thought, oh, I should show this to this teacher. Right. Make sure you go back and look at your notes and think about, you know, how am I going to use this learning? I mean, where can I, where can I implement it and what can I do with it? Mm-hmm. Right. So do you have any overall like experiences from attending these conferences recently? Any, do you, 
does it leave a good taste in your mouth or a bad taste? Does it make you hanker for, you know, the face-to-face ones again? Or how did you feel overall? Um, you know, I guess I don't know that I am leaning one way or another. I do know that it's challenging for me as a learner to sit down and, like, power through a bunch of sessions. It's not necessarily my best way of learning. I prefer to attend it, like, with one of our teammates and then – you know, during the session kind of be like, oh, you know, to build off of that with someone. So that just collaboration with other people, I think was challenging for me. But I did, like I have said quite a few times, really appreciate the ability to go back and watch sessions and feel like I really got my money's worth. Um, So I don't know, you know, it'll be interesting, because I think that this virtual conference thing probably isn't going away, or at least there'll always be an aspect to virtual a virtual conference from here on out, maybe not. Um, so yeah, if I had a choice between, I think just because I feel like I've been here at my house for so many months, I would choose to go face to face at least for the next yeah. one. And after that, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Maybe we should do like a like a, a watch party type oh, of thing, yeah. you know, where we have a Zoom call going at the same time as the virtual conference, and yeah. then we can be accountability partners, yeah, right. but we can also like help each other out on, hey, did you? What do you think about that? Yeah, or and right. have those conversations yeah, at the same idea. time without interrupting. Yeah, so, that's a good know. idea. All right. Speaking of good ideas, let's okay. do our tech nuggets. Tech nuggets. Do you want to go first this time? Um, sure. Okay. I can go first. Okay. Uh, first on the list is something I've seen go around Twitter a lot. Yeah. So, Mindy, you probably haven't seen it because you're not on Twitter. It's not true. I actually sent you an email about this tool at some point in time this year. But continue. What? Yes. Continue. I'm going to have to go look that up. <laughs> We haven't done this as a tech nugget then? No, I don't think so. Because I saw that you had it on here and I'm like, haven't I shared that as a tech nugget? But I, it's not on the list anywhere. So, Okay, so this is Moat, yep. M-O-T-E, mm-hmm. like note, but mm-hmm. with an M, just Moat Me is the website. <laughs> <laughs> and it enables voice note feedback within Google Classroom, Google Docs, and Google Slides, and some other fun stuff on here. Mm-hmm. So I just think this is a really um, interesting tool. As I was going through it, I was looking at all the different ways you can um, add voice feedback. And I know there's other tools out there that do things like this, like there's Kaizena and, mm-hmm. and other things, mm-hmm. if, if they're still around. But this one just seemed really easy and straightforward. Um, it lets you add um, a text comment. It lets you add an audio comment. It lets you add emojis. You can use it inside a Google Classroom. You can use it um, when you're grading documents or when you're giving like feedback to students in the comments in Google Classroom. Um, you can use it in Google Slides to insert audio onto Google Slides. Now, mm-hmm. we talked about there's an extension for that now, and there's also Pear Deck will do that on your Pear Deck slides, right. but you can just use the Moat extension to um, drop something straight onto Google Slide. Um, you can also use um, almost like a comment bank mm-hmm. of voice recordings oh, um, that's nice. so that it like in 
Google Classroom, uh, when you're grading things, you can have a comment bank right. of things you can throw in there. So right. if you're constantly saying, hey, can you just uh, check in with me and make sure that we're both on the same page from this here? I'm not sure you're quite grasping the key ideas here. Right. You know, that that could be like a, a co- something in your comment bank mm-hmm. to have it in there. Nice. So... For the most part, it is free, Um, but if you want more features, you can pay for additional features, but it's not as expensive as as I thought. Uh, You're limited to 30-second voice recordings on the free plan. Mm -hmm. If you go to $19 a year, you can up that to 90 seconds. And if you do the unlimited, which is Mote to the Max, which actually <laughs> yeah. has like a, a, there's a code on here that says save 20%. I don't know if that will be there when you go there, but yeah. the unlimited plan is $39 a year. And that also lets you do voice to text transcriptions. It will translate the transcripts for you. Did you see it transcribes, transcribes Motes with math and scientific notation? Did you see that? Yes. That's interesting. I see that on there too. Uh-huh. So it gives you some extra features. It's $40 a year mm-hmm. or they do have a 20% off code right now. Yeah. Um, it's not terrible. No. Um, if, if it's a tool that you would use a lot, yeah, right. um, it might be something you could try. And you can mm-hmm. definitely try it for free and see if you like it for free. And then you can weigh up the pros and cons of whether it's worth paying any more for right. or not. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. So, Moat. Moat. Apparently, it's Mindy's nugget that I borrowed. It's not. I sent it a long time ago. I think um, I was looking for something along this lines and um, came across it and had never seen it before. And I think I merely just sent an email that said, has anybody seen Moat before? <laughs> and that was it. So, don't get your don't get too excited about it. Um, okay. All right. So, my tech nugget, actually, both of my tech nuggets, because I did try to go on Twitter today and... I had to turn it off. So um, both of my tech nuggets come from Eric Kurtz and because um, I get his newsletter in my inbox. So I was like, oh, I'll check and see what um, Eric's up to. So um, one of his nuggets from his newsletter was bouncy maps, um, which I think is kind of an interesting um, graphic. So it starts with a world map and then across the top of this map, there are different categories that you can view the world in. So for example, um, there's population across the top. So if I turn on the bouncy map, it changes the size of the different countries to show which one has the largest population and that country gets the largest on the map. So it's kind of interesting. The population one's not as interesting, but I did like, um, think like energy. And right now we're talking a lot about oil reserves and um, within the United States and gas reserves, those types of things. And like, I didn't realize that the United States had a really large excess of coal reserves. Did you know that? I had no idea. So I just think it's, I did not know yeah, that. I just think it's interesting to see where the United States compares to the rest of the world as far as our, um, you know, just there's agriculture on here, the economy, religions, just lots of interesting things. That's a real visual thing. And then along the bottom, it gives just a little bit of a, um, it gives a, like a, like a line graph of sorts or a bar graph, I guess it would probably be the appropriate term for that. And then, uh, just a description. So 
Uh, and then you can embed that too into, it gives you an embed code. If you'd like to do that, you can download it into, uh, um, spreadsheet if you'd like the data and stuff. So I just think it's kind of an interesting visual, um, that, you know, you might find use for. Yeah, I think great for social studies, but, you know, even for like math, if you're doing any data work, you could, you know, definitely see. Yeah, it's just interesting. It's it's things that you don't think about comparing across. I thought I looked at wind energy, which I thought was interesting, Um, CO2 emissions. I just think it's super interesting. So it's just a bouncy maps. Nice and easy. All right. Bouncy maps. Bouncy maps. Thank you, Eric Kurtz. All right. So I've got one that I think is going to be kind of hard to explain on a podcast, oh, but I'm going okay. to do my best All and right. see if I can explain it because okay. it's kind of a visual thing. Okay. But recently I've been doing some work on um, how to use an iPad or an iPhone or a, you know other device as a document camera okay. inside of Zoom and Google Meet. Yep. And so, you know, it's pretty easy to do in Zoom. You can just connect an iOS device Mm -hmm. and then um, share your screen and do that. However, it's a little harder inside of Google Meet, which doesn't really have any of those iOS kind of tie-ins, because why would they? Mm -hmm. Because they're Google and Mm -hmm. they do Android. Mm -hmm. So this is where this tool OBS Ninja comes in. So you basically open your cell phone or something, uh, or whatever you're using as your document camera. It's another device with a camera on it. And you go to OBS. Ninja. Okay. And then you add your camera to OBS, mm-hmm. and all that does basically is give it permission to show your camera feed. Okay. And then what you can do is it gives you a, a URL. Okay. And so you would send that URL back to your laptop where you're running your Google Meet call. Okay. And then you can open that URL and you will see a live feed of what your camera sees on your mobile device. Wow. Huh. Am I explaining this well enough? Yeah, I think I get it. I think I get it. So your cam, your phone, whatever phone you have, it doesn't matter if it's iOS or Android, is turned into a document camera because you use this OBS Ninja thing. Mm-hmm. And it creates a URL for that feed. So you send that URL back over to your laptop. And then on your laptop, all you have to do is share your screen and you share that tab. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the document camera in your call. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's completely free. Yeah. It is very secure. Uh-huh. It does use peer-to-peer uh, oh. technology, mm. so some networks I know do block that. Right. But if you can get it to work on your school network or if you're working at home, then try and see how it works there. You don't need any accounts or logins or anything else. It does a lot of other fancier stuff that you don't need. Right. Um, is not created really for this purpose, but you absolutely can use it for this sure. purpose. So, I like that you um, can generate a reusable link because I can imagine that part would just be the most an- the biggest annoyance is making sure that you typed in that link correctly. But if you can generate your own link, you just bookmark it and then you can just use it every time, right? Yeah, I don't know if the link is uh, can be used again or not. That's a good so question. Here you can pre-generate maybe. a reusable browser source link. Oh, okay. There you go then. Yeah. I mean, in theory, you could just send that link to all your students, but 
Um, I think it would work better within the confines of the yeah, the call that the you're call. working in, just to share your screen. Yeah. Plus, if you have like, I think I did email the guy to ask him about this. He says if you have like thirty or more, it's really going to slow down your video feed mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, but technically, you would only have one person viewing your video feed right. if it was you right. on your laptop, right? And then you just share your screen inside of me, and mm-hmm. you know it works absolutely fine that way. So, what's so. the audio like? Did you still have to um, mute one of your devices? I'm guessing, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes, you get terrible feedback mm-hmm. if you do not yeah. mute um, mute the audio, uh, turn down the volume as well, so that you don't get any whistling and screeching back and forward. Yeah. But uh, just continue to use the microphones and uh, speakers on your laptop mm. and interesting. And, uh, use it that way. Good one. So Look at you. It's a fun, easy way to share your screen. Yeah. Right. Good one. All right, last one, also from Eric Kurtz. God bless him. Um, I thought this one was kind of fun. It's called Bad Calculators. Um, So when you first go to Bad Calculators, you can create a Google or sign in with a Google account, which I did not do because, um, I don't know, I didn't think it was necessary. But you can also use this website without an account at all. Um, So it's all math, arithmetic, and operations puzzles. So... Um, it gives you a number to start with and a number that you want to end on. So I felt like I did this a lot when I was teaching math. And then it gives like three different functions that you can use to get to that end number. So like right now, the one on my screen is the number 64. I'm supposed to try and get to one. The only way I can do that is by adding one, dividing by two, or dividing by 17 in whatever order I need to do that to, to get to the number one. So I think it's kind of an interesting, um, math challenge that, I mean, I was really engaged and I was like, oh man. And I like that. Um, then it gives you up to three stars of your solving ability. So, um, if you can do it in less than four moves, you get two stars. If you can get it in, oh wait, that doesn't make sense. Let's see. I'm reading this wrong, but it gives you different, um, levels of solving. So you get one, two, or three stars, depending on how many moves it takes you to get to that number. Yeah, I just tried that there. And I was wondering about the number of moves there. And it seems to reward you for doing it in more moves than less moves. Sometimes it's like like. doing it in the least number of views. Yeah, right. But I think they want it to be a challenge. I mean, like I've got one here that's like go from 20 to 19. Yeah. And so, but you had to add um, and then to subtract, right? Exactly. So yeah. I can take away sixteen, mm-hmm. and then I can add five right. three times, and I get it. Yeah, and I get two stars because I did it in four or less moves. But if I do it in six mm. moves, I get the third star. So it's you have to make it more complex. So it's not about to get choosing the third the, star. And with math, I always used to tell my kids that you with math you want to do it in the most efficient manner. But maybe Mm -hmm. it's pushing them to think outside of what seems easiest, which is might be the thing that pops out to you. But what if I could, you know, what are some other ways I could get to this? So to think out of the usual realm of possibility. So I don't know. I thought it was like a super simple way to provide some math challenges for students without it being, you know, something like we did a lot of Sudoku um, boxes when I was in the classroom, but this would have been another great math challenge and something I could just hand off. Here you go. Work on this for, you know, kids that just need a little bit of a challenge. It's a nice little resource. So bad calculators. Yeah, I do too. 
Thank you again, Eric Kurtz. <laughs> yeah. And it's one of these ones that will have more than one possible solution, yeah. which I think is always good yeah. for math, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Well, before we go, um, I did something I haven't done in a long time, Mindy. I happened to be on Apple Podcasts, and Mm. I was looking up some podcasts Mm -hmm. uh, for some different things, Mm -hmm. and I stumbled across our podcast, and I thought, hey, I wonder if anybody's written a review for our podcast. (laughs) Do you not get notified? Oh, God. (laughs) I don't get notified, no. Um, And there was a new review, so I'm going to give a quick shout-out to Mom Pollowick, who left us a review on Apple Podcasts. She says, I can't recommend this podcast enough. I get new ideas from my classroom every episode oh so that was nice nice yeah hopefully she got something new today too fingers crossed um yeah so i guess if you want to leave us a review in the apple podcast app yeah you absolutely can Mm -hmm. just fire up the app search for a podcast and tap the review button and give mindy those five stars that she craves oh yeah it's really important to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah so until next time this has been the edtech takeout we hope it hit the spot For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.